Uh, well, anyway, thanks for having me. Um, I just got to be frank with you. This is a bit weird for me. Um, I'm stuck in my daughter's bedroom. It's the most isolated room from the whole house uh, because I tend to project and sometimes can get into it when I preach. And so my biggest fear is not the internet dropping out. My biggest fear is my six-year-old waking up and coming over to find me in this room. But, um, but yeah, it's also midnight here. Uh, and so um, you're gonna have to excuse me if I lose a train of thought or something, but, uh, but it's, it's an honor to be here. You know, uh, I always, every year, um, yeah, I always look forward to seeing LIAC and even have an opportunity to speak there. Never in my wildest imagination would I ever had anticipated doing it this way, but we'll, we'll take it as it goes. But um, yeah, so thanks for having us. I uh, just wanted to let you all you know that uh, I have so many friends and people in our church constantly calling us, texting Chris and I, and they just, they just are, have a heart and praying for people in New York, especially and, and all of America. But, but because of our attachment to New York, they're, they're always letting us know and how they're praying for people where you guys are at and we share it with them. And um, so just want you guys to know, even across the whole world, there are uh, people in churches here that are praying for you guys. And so I wanted you to be encouraged by that. So um, if, if you will, I just want to open up with a quick word of prayer just to kind of, just to kind of get myself calibrated for this and uh, just want to pray for the Lord to speak right now. Father, uh, this is so unusual and yet so fascinating that we can do this. Um, and so, Lord, I just pray right now, uh, we, we are really leaning on your omniscience right now. You're just sort of, you're everywhere and we know that. And so even across the world, we are worshiping the same God. And I pray, Lord, that the, the one Holy Spirit who is everywhere uh, and around us and in us, Lord, I just pray your spirit now would speak, bring comfort uh, to those who really are in need of comfort, bring encouragement, Lord, and a great sense of peace now. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Um, some of you who are, I was figuring this out, probably if you're 25 years or even 30 years old or younger, you might not remember or even know this, but there was used to be a time where if you wanted to make a phone call to someone, uh, you know, the person had to be inside a building because there was no such thing as a mobile phone. And the device you see there on your screen, is called a telephone. And um, it was attached to a, a line that was attached to the wall. And, and that little thing that is sitting there, and I'm sorry if I sound facetious, but that I'm assuming there might be some young people that who may never even seen or touched one of these. But, um, you know, and the thing is also, if you made a phone call and if the person was on the phone, meaning that receiver was off that resting area, um, you would hear as the caller this annoying uh, dial tone like eh, eh, eh. and anyone who's who's like, ever experienced that it was one of the more frustrating things about making a phone call was to realize that your phone uh, so your phone call wasn't getting through and so i don't know when it was but at some point you know smart people came up with this technology called call waiting and it was like this most amazing thing because what it essentially allowed you to do was if if say i was on the phone and you were trying to call me I would get this sort of double click or some kind of signal on my end to say, hey, someone's trying to call you. And then I had the option to hold my current call and then take the new call. And so in a sense, and essentially what, it, what call waiting did was it eliminated the, the dial tone. It eliminated the, you know, the, busy, the busy phone signal. And it really was important because if there was sort of any kind of emergency phone calls, uh, you know, those calls would get through, for instance. And so it was this really fascinating technology. And what I remember now about it, it was, it was interesting is uh, once we got rid of the dial tone and it was like, wow, call waiting is so cool. 
it's so good that we can make a, you know, even if they don't pick up, it's great, right? They, they know we're calling. Over time, as humans are, we kind of kind of got spoiled and, and got to the point now where when we make a phone call, it's frustrating that no one picks up. And, and it's almost, we've kind of gotten spoiled to this point where whenever we make a phone call, whenever we call someone, there's this sort of expectation that they should pick up or they will pick up. And if they don't, we're disappointed and we're frustrated. You know, I've been reflecting uh, deeply about my, my personal uh, attitude towards prayer and my attitudes towards my interaction with God during this uh, COVID-19 season. And you might resonate here, but in my reflections, I, I've, I've realized that there have been moments in my prayer times where I've kind of had that spoiled expectation with God. This idea that I am calling you, God, I am praying to you, and I expect you to answer right now. And if he doesn't, or seemingly doesn't, I get a little impatient. I get a little frustrated. It, it, it was quite clear on, um, on Monday early, you know, about a week ago, Monday, I was doing my devotions. And one of the things I've been doing for my devotions lately is just, I just kind of going through the gospel. And, um, and one of the things I've been doing is as I'm reading the gospel, it, uh, if something really sticks out to me, whether it's a passage or word or verse or something, I, I just pause in that moment just to kind of sit there and, and see what, what is it that God's trying to teach you? What is it that, that's connecting with me? It's not always very spiritual. It's just sometimes it's just an observation. But on Monday, I was reading through Mark, and I, I was reading on uh, chapter 3 of Mark, and I'm going to read it to you right now, and, and, uh, and something caught my eye. So let me read it to you. Uh, chapter 7, sorry, chapter 3, verse 7. This is what it says. <clears throat> Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard about all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Edomea, and the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. And this next verse, now, verse 10, this is the one that stuck out to me, this next verse. For he had healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Now, I don't know if it's because of the word disease and sort of where we are right now, but that, that verse just stuck out to me like a sore thumb. And, and I just remember I had this moment where I, I, I read that verse, I read it three times, and I just kind of sat on it. And as the more I sat on it, I was just getting really excited. I could feel my spirit lift because I started getting this image of what it would look like to be there in that moment. We see Jesus He's, he's healing people to the point that people are crowding to him like he's some kind of celebrity. People are trying to get to him, like bum rushing to get to Jesus because they knew this guy had the ability just simply by touching him, maybe saying something, looking at them, that somehow in their disease that he would look at them, touch them, and they would be healed. And so I had this, just this excitement of going, yes, like the words that kept coming to my heart was, yes, 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 that is the Jesus that I know. That is the Jesus that heals that is the Jesus that we need in our world right now. And I was encouraged because I knew this is why we hang on our hopes to Jesus, because of something like that in our situation, in our world right now. But you know, as quickly as that excitement came, also this other thought came, and it wasn't as encouraging, if I will. You see, in my mind, as soon as I had that moment of excitement and thrill, this thought came really quick after, and it was, I know Jesus can heal, but how come it seems like he hasn't yet? You know, I just, 
you know, from from where we are right now in Australia, I'd say we are one of the one of the, we are in a blessed area because we're not feeling it as hard as a lot of other places in the world. And because our families in New York, a lot of our loved ones and friends are in New York. I'm just really, I don't know how to respond when people are saying, "How are you feeling?" Because I, in one sense, I feel blessed, but in the other sense, I feel very burdened for you guys and over there. And I think about people like Italy. Uh, we have some neighbors and friends from the church, business friends who are family from Turkey. And I hear that's pretty bad now too. And, and there's this moment where I'm thinking, I know Jesus can heal, but here are the burdens that I'm wearing out. And, and I'm just thinking, if there was ever a moment in time in our world, in our generation, where we could see a global miracle, where you know the power and the healing power of Jesus, this would be the time. It would just... It just would seem like this is the time to show it, Lord. So how come you haven't yet? And so there I wrestled there for a moment. And then I just kind of peeked at the next verse. And surprisingly, the next verse stuck out like a sore thumb for me too. And it was just a weird verse. This is what it says. This is what it says after that. Verse 11. Whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. I found this to be a very fascinating passage in this last two verses, the way it ended. You know, here's a commentary that Mark kind of, he puts this commentary in in between some of Jesus' early ministry, just to kind of give a summary of the sort of what Jesus' ministry was looking like. And, and, And really clearly, as you read the first couple of verses of what we read, very successful ministry. Jesus was doing something that people were like, you're, you're like, not like anyone else. He was healing so many people that crowds were coming to him in droves to the point where Jesus like to his disciples, we, we, we need to get a small boat and get on the water because that's the only way we can crowd control is to keep this, keep this crowd from bum rushing us so that we need to be on the water so that people can't come all the way up to us. And it's implied here that he's healing the, those who are diseased. And I imagine that they're not just physically ill, they're not just mentally ill, but there are some that are spiritually ill. And, and to the point that where the, 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 these impure, evil spirits, upon seeing Jesus, upon coming across Jesus, they can't contain themselves, and yet they reveal the true identity of who Christ is. They're saying, you are the Son of God. And just imagine this. I was sitting there thinking, if this were me, if I was, quote unquote, playing God, this was my plan of the mission to evangelize to the world about who Jesus is, right? Because the mission of Jesus come to the world was to, to tell people essentially that he is the son of God, that he was sent from God, that to those who believe in him would find new life, right? So the mission was to reveal that Jesus was the son of God. And here he is in this situation where he's having successful ministry. People are noticing that he's different. You basically have the enemy of God declaring he is the son of God. To me, this would seem like the appropriate time to kind of play along and be like, yeah, you guys caught me out. I am the son of God. Let's roll with this, right? Like the momentum is going. Let's just go. Let's see ministry right now as it goes. And yet you read it right there. Jesus says something different. And it's not like Jesus is trying to be humble here. He's not like, come on, guys. I don't want to make a big deal about this. You know, let's not make a big deal. Yeah, come on. Yeah, I'm the son of God. Let's just move on. You know, no. Read the words. It says he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. This isn't the only time this happens. Actually, in in chapter 1 of Mark, towards the end, 
after he heals the leper, and the leper is obviously excited, the leper wants to tell everyone, and Jesus, again, the language is very stern or shaky. He says sternly, do not tell others about what happened. And so it, it, it leans more that this isn't just Jesus trying to be humble and trying to keep things in a down low. It, it almost presumes that there's a reason because there's intent in here because of the fact that he orders them so strictly to do that. I don't know why Jesus did it that way. Again, if it was me, I'd do it otherwise. My only conclusion is that from scripture, we know that Jesus operated based on what the father told him. He says, my food is to do the will of the father. So my only conclusion is that the way this played out was because it was the father's plan. And my only conclusion, which is still confusion, is that for some reason, this wasn't in the time and in the way of the father. You know, um, sorry, 12 o'clock's hidden. <laughs> you know, I used to think this passage was, was about um, the humility of Jesus. You know, I used to think, you know, this passage is about the success of Jesus, his ministry, is about the miracles, it was about, um, you know, you know, don't take the recognition whenever you do good in ministry. That's how I was read this. And maybe it might be about that, but I, but I don't think it's just about that. See, I think there's insight here that tells us about the way and the timing in which the Father does things. And, and here's this insight. Here's the insight. The way we do things is very different from the way God does things. And not only is it different, uh, he does things way better than us, right? Consider Isaiah 55. It's a passage that may, many of you, this verse, many of you, may have read, maybe you probably have said these things, maybe out of frustration in times, you might have repeated these verses, but this is what it says. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I mean, that's pretty insulting, but we get it, right? Like as high as the heaven is from the earth, that's how much smarter I am than you are. And, and that's, that's the simple thing here. God is saying, I'm way smarter than you'll ever be. And so maybe it's good for us to trust him because he is that much smarter than us. You know, it's one of the greatest felt tension of being a Christ follower is, is the dynamic of this our way versus God's way. It's one of the most frustrating tensions because on one hand, you know, we're instructed by God himself and through scripture that when we are in a situation like where we are now, right, with, through coronavirus, where we're, we're, we have so many needs, so many concerns, so many burdens, we are instructed by God to, to offload these to him, to ask in prayer and ask him, right? And we're, at, we're, we're instructed that when we ask, we have faith and believe that he has the power to do this. But not only that, but we do so with the expectancy that he will deliver. But where we kind of get caught in the dark is the when and the how. And that's when the frustration really sets in, right? We, we, we get it. We believe God has the ability to heal, has the ability to do anything we ask along according to his will, and we even expect that he will do that. But what we don't know, though, is when he will do it and how he will do it. You know, I, I, I get a glimpse of this dynamic, this tension, you know, of the frustration whenever um, I'm at home and I'm doing sort of like a DIY project and then my kids are involved. 
Um, the, the most recent example of this was for Christmas. My oldest son, he's, really into, he's been really into basketball. So for Christmas, we bought him a, a basketball, a new basketball hoop, a new basketball system, right? And, um, and so uh, one of the deal was, I said, Jay, if you, if you want me to assemble this or you want to play with this new system, you're going to have to assemble it with me. And so, you know, we, you know, it was Christmas. And just, just for those of you who may not be aware, you know, you're probably thinking, why are you buying a Christmas, you know, a outdoor activity for a Christmas gift? We are in the Southern Hemisphere, so we're in the middle of summer here in Australia. So that's why I wasn't trying to be cruel to my kids. But so here we are, we're, we're you know, we're, we open this basketball system. And this is one of those, there's one of these intricate ones where like you can adjust the height without having to read, you know, it's just, it's just full of mechanics and all this stuff. We open the box and there's, there's parts everywhere. And the, the manual is probably like, you know, three, you know, 10 pages thick. And so Jaden and I start going along with this thing. And of course, my six-year-old Zach comes along. He often does in these sort of moments. He comes along, goes rummages through my toolbox, and he picks the tool of the day. And he's just like, Dad, I want to do this, right? So for this particular moment, this project, he notices the most obvious thing of a, of a basketball system is the, the basketball rim, the hoop, and the backboard, right? And it's the most obvious thing. So he's like, Dad, I want to screw in the hoop to the backboard. And I'm like, Zach, just not yet. We'll get to that later, right? He's like, why not? I'm like, just, it's just not yet. So he runs off. Like two or three times, he comes back, Dad, now, can we do that now? Can we do that? No, Zach, we're not ready to do it yet. And you can see each time he comes, he's visibly getting frustrated. And I get it, right? From his point of view, he's like, here's the hoop. Here's the backboard. Here's the screwdriver. Here's the bolts and the screws. Why can't I screw these in, right? And, and but from my point of view as the father, I'm thinking, I have way more experience than you. Now that I have this instruction manual and there's a step order to it, and it's not just because we want to put it together right, but there's a safety reasons for it because you can't just put the hoop on the backboard. It'll lean, it'll break, all this kind of stuff. We got to build the base first. You got to put the poles. That, if I try to explain that to Zach, one, he wouldn't care. He wouldn't last long enough to listen. Two, he would not understand. It's just too complicated for him. And so I just have to say, you just, it's just not time yet. You are on step 19. I'm still on step two. You're just going to have to wait. He, sometimes he's impatient. He doesn't get it. Until eventually, finally, we get to the step where it's like, okay, we're ready to put, install what he wants to do. I call him over. And usually when we do these projects, by that point, he doesn't care anymore. He doesn't even come. But this time he comes over. I'm like, Zach, now we can put this together. Let me show you why we had to wait till now to do it. And he, he sees it. He doesn't hear it. He just sees it and he goes, oh, I didn't know before, but I get it now. I get it now. I think if you're like me, this is sort of a glimpse of my interactions with God, but I'm the child and he's the father, especially right now. The times that I'm praying, especially I'm praying for New York, I'm praying for people I know that are sick. I'm praying for, you know, can we stop homeschooling? Can we, all this kind of stuff, right? Like I'm praying and I'm like, now, now, dad, now, now, dad, now, can we do it now, now? And it's like, God, the father is going you're on step 19. You, what you don't see is I'm on step three, maybe four, five, maybe even two. You just can't see. And for me to try to explain to you what's happening right now, you're just not going to understand. My ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. But I, I firmly believe that the word from the Lord for me and hopefully for you too is that we have to trust and believe there's going to be a moment in time where God didn't start to reveal his glory in this, it may not all happen at once. It might, we might not get a full picture. And I'm not, believe me, I'm not going to simplify this and say, oh, this is the reason why we're going through it. It's not that simple. 
it's, it's very complicated. But what I'm saying is there's going to be a point, I believe, where the glory of the Lord is going to shine in, in your particular life, in, in our global environment, in the church, the universal church. It's going to be multifaceted. But there's going to be a point where something is going to be revealed to you through the Holy Spirit. And I guarantee you we're going to say, ah, I get it now. I get it now. You know, one of the frustrating things, Sorry, even though the call waiting, I was saying earlier, you know, the whole technology of call waiting, even though it's frustrating when you people don't pick up the phone call because you're so used to people picking up the phone now, it was way better than hearing that busy dial tone, you know. And, and I think the reason why is because whenever we heard the busy dial tone, what the, what the feedback to us was the call's not getting through. They don't even know I'm making a phone call. They have no idea that I'm calling. So, like, I could be even in an emergency, and they have no clue. But at least with call waiting, the phone's ringing. You're thinking, at least there's a chance they can hear, right? Nothing more frustrating than when you're calling and you don't feel like anyone's hearing you. You know, it's, it's too simple. You're probably expecting me to say something like, to take the analogy and say, you know, our prayer times with God is like call waiting. And... I thought about it, but it's actually a terrible analogy because any way, which way you look at it, if you play out the analogy, it makes, it puts God in negative light. Like, like if he doesn't pick up the phone, it's because he's too busy or he's just, you know, reckless or he just doesn't hear, you know, it, it just doesn't work. But I'll tell you this though, even though God may not be seemingly answering you right now, I guarantee you the call is getting through, the call is getting through. So it's not so much that it's call waiting like the technology, but I believe it's more like call and then waiting. It's like call and then waiting. I believe in our time right now, the word of the Lord is that we should continue to call him. And, I, and I, I'm going to suggest to you this morning that even though it seems like God's not answering us, it would benefit us. It would be encouraging to us. It would really sustain us if we continue to keep calling on him even if the answer is not obvious or he seems to be silent. There's this Hebrew phrase that I've come across through my devotions in the last three weeks. I might butcher the phrase, but it's, I'm going to do my best. It's called Ananai Hakavad. Ananai Hakavad. And in English, it's translated to the cloud of glory. And it's often referencing the phrase is found a lot of times in the Old Testament, particularly in the Exodus story. You might remember you know, Moses was called by God to, to, to lead the Israelites out of slavery from Egypt into the promised land. And, and there's throughout the story of the Exodus story, there's this mention of Ananai Hakavah, the cloud of glory. Uh, one of the instances is the famous story of uh, the Israelites are, uh, are, are grumbling because they're so hungry. And so, uh, and so before the Lord answers them, and we know he answers them through manna and quail, this bread from heaven, right? In, in the scripture, it says that, um, uh, that as the people are crying out, this cloud of glory appears before Moses. And then soon after is when he provides the manna and quail. And so there's this image of the cloud of glory, this, uh, this, um, the, the presence of God that is a, a, a symbol of provisions for the people. But where the cloud of glory with Anurakabad is most mentioned, it's actually towards the end, towards the end of the Exodus story, where you might remember the Israelites are actually wandering in the desert wilderness for 40 years. So again, if you're not familiar with the story, uh, Moses leads the people to the entrance of the promised land, but the people were too scared to enter. And because of their lack of faith, their consequence was that they were to wander into desert wilderness for 40 years. 
And I, I, you got to remember, like, that is not a fun thing to do. To be wandering the desert for 40 years, it's not your holiday. It's, you know, it, it, compared to the promised land, now you get the desert. You got to imagine what it would be like to be the Israelites in that time. And it was in that moment, though, where they were wandering, where the cloud of glory was super important to the people of Israel. Because, again, it, was, it represented the presence of God. And, and, and one of the ways that it was super uh, vital for them was that uh, at the end of Exodus, it actually says, when the Israelites were traveling, they were only moved whenever the cloud of glory would move and guide them. But anytime they set up the tabernacle in this cloud of glory, this physical cloud of glory was set upon the tabernacle, the Israelites would pitch their tents and set up camp, and they would stay there and they would worship until it was time to go again. Now, I just want you to imagine they are in this wilderness, probably not an exciting time, probably difficult, probably lots of questions of why are we going through this? How long, O oh Lord? Why are we suffering? Will there be an end to this? And the one thing that is sustaining the whole entire nation is this cloud of glory that sets upon the tabernacle. They move when it moves. They stop when it stops. The cloud of glory represented the very presence of the Lord. And that was the one thing that sustained the entire nation of Israel. Now, you and I, because of education, because of modern science or earth science, we would know that clouds are formed because of moisture in the air and, you know, vapors that exist in the air. But the cool thing about Anan HaKavad is that when the rabbis would teach this to their students, this is how they would teach this. They would say that the cloud of glory was was built upon the vapors that came out of the mouths of the people as they called upon the Lord. I just want you to picture that image. That as the people in unison were calling out on the Lord, their very breath that had vapors in it was building into the cloud of glory. And, and here's the implication of what the rabbis are teaching. That the more we call out to the Lord, the more we feel his presence. In a sense, the presence grows. It's, it's more sense sensed in our in our hearts and we know every part of us just pictures and and can feel the presence of the god growing in us the more we call upon the lord i don't know about you and me but i feel like this is a word for us today like the israelites we're we're in in a in a we're in a bad state you know we don't know when this is going to end we don't know how it's going to end and the temptation is to to be frustrated with God, to give up on God, if you will. But the word here is saying in this image, I want you to image what these rabbis are teaching, that as we call upon the Lord, we, in a sense, the, the glory, the cloud of glory grows, or I should say the presence of God grows. And we feel him more. We sense him more. We, we just internalize him in our soul and our core of who we are. And I just believe wholeheartedly that when the presence of God is that tangible in your life and in my life, that is the very thing we need to be sustained right now. You know, the, the whole thing about this teaching is about the presence of God. It's about his presence. You know, and so when I talk about call and waiting, we, we need to be clear that it has to be about his presence. So when we call 
we're not calling as if, you know, in a way that God is like this dispenser of things. And we give him our demands, our list of demands. And if he doesn't come through with our demands, then we just kind of say, you know what? Forget God. I'm just going to take things in my control. That's not the way that we are called to call upon God. We are to call in a way that focuses on his presence and builds his presence in our lives. And when we wait, we're not waiting like we wait for the pizza to be delivered or we're waiting for the movie to begin, you know, where we distract ourselves with our phone and we're like, hey, what's happening? Oh, it's not here yet. Let's just find other things to do. No, we're not. That's not the way we're waiting upon the Lord. The way we should be waiting upon the Lord is kind of like, it's like when you're at the airport at the arrival terminal, at the arrival uh, terminal and you're just waiting to see that loved one that you haven't seen in ages and you're just sitting there you're not looking at your phone going oh i can't you know how do i distract myself no you're sitting there going i wonder i can't wait to hold them i can't wait to smell them i can't wait to hug them i can't i wonder what they look like i, I wonder what their trip was like you're just consumed by the being the presence of that person and being in that presence you're just anticipating what it's going to be like to be in the presence of that loved one that's the kind of waiting we should be doing to wait in the presence of the Lord. And so you see, we are the state where I believe God is saying to call so that his presence continues to grow. And then we wait in his presence. You know, I know for many of you, sometimes these messages, they just don't seem practical enough. You know, you might be wrestling with, I, I hear what you're saying, but I, it just doesn't seem like there's enough practicality for me to do something. And I've been saying this phrase a lot to some of the people in my church. We're in a state of where we're, this is not about practicality. This is purely about spirituality. Um, the, the way through this is not about the steps around this. Yes, there's things, there's wisdom in what we do in our action steps. But I feel like we are at a stage where it, it is about seeing the power of the spirit to move and do some crazy things that we never would imagine. And it's encouraging stuff. But if you are looking for some steps from this, this is my encouragement. This is something I've been kind of reflecting on. Some point this week, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna guess it's gonna happen to all of us. You're gonna feel frustrated. You're gonna feel sad. You're gonna feel discouraged. You're gonna feel like venting. You're gonna feel like whinging, oh, sorry, complaining. Um, my encouragement is just take some moment to stop yourself and just call out to the Lord. Whether it's a statement of thanksgiving, whether it's a statement of um, praise. If it's like me recently, it's, it could be plenty of statements of laments, plenty of statements of complaints. You know, the Lord's a big boy. He can handle us complaining to him. In fact, he wants us to be open to him. And so my encouragement this week is that as you, as you are just going through your day and you just feel this wave of whatever emotion and, and, and it's not a good one, I encourage you to call out to the Lord and just make it a practice to do that. Would you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much. Firstly, that the internet didn't seem to drop out. And secondly, that my, my son, my, my kids didn't wake up. But more importantly, Lord God, I just pray that in the midst of what was said tonight, people would sense your spirit. People would know your heart. 
people would be able to absorb your love. Lord, may those, the people at LIAC, the people in New York right now, and even across the whole world, may they know that you have not abandoned anyone. And while it's hard for us in these situations to trust you, Lord, as we call out to you, may you, may you make your presence so clear. May you make your presence so known that it builds our, our trust, it builds our faith, that we, our momentum grows as we continue to trust in what we don't see, but we trust in who you are, the very characters and the very promises that we know about you. And so, Lord, I just pray now for your children to be loved, to experience shalom, even in the midst of this crisis. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.